Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presents Burning Hearts with Father Patrick O'Dottery, a program that is seeking to lead young adults to Christ and to enkindle a deeper faith that is fully alive. Now, here is your host. Welcome to Burning Hearts, a Bible study for atheists, agnostics, and for unbelievers, for people of all faiths, and for people of no faith. Last week I suggested to you that to understand the whole Bible from beginning to end, one simply had to understand marriage. If you were getting married, for instance, in the Catholic Church, one of the questions the priest would ask you is, do you understand the nature and obligations of marriage? And do you agree without any condition or reservation to enter a marriage that is for life? to give your spouse the right to have children and to accept the obligation of being faithful to your spouse. Now, the question, do you understand the nature and obligation of marriage? And if you do, then you understand the nature and obligations of the Bible. Marriage is a covenant. A covenant, the word covenant comes from two Latin words, co venio, it means to bring together. And to understand covenant is to understand the basis of all society. Let me give you an example. Supposing for the sake of interest that you and I were um, Jews living before the time of Christ, and you happen to be a patriarch, the patriarchal leader of a tribal family. In the tribal family is your wife, their sons, and their wives. And then you have children and grandchildren, perhaps, but very important, flocks of sheep and goats. Now, the whole economy and the whole life of your tribes depends on the well-being of the sheep and goats. From the goats, you would get, obviously, skins, and you could make tents to shelter you from the terrible heat or from the cold. Um, you get food from the, from the sheep, from the, uh, and from the sheep you get wool, uh, milk, meat. Now, if the sheep die, we die. So part of our life consists then of driving our herds of sheep and goats from watering hole to watering hole, from grazing ground to grazing ground. And let's supposing for the sake of this image that um, your name happens to be, we'll say, Isaac, and my name happens to be Jacob. Now, you are the patriarch of your tribal family, and I am the patriarch of my tribal family. Supposing now a dispute breaks out between your tribal family and mine over grazing ground, and you and I, as caring and loving uh, leaders of our family, we don't want bloodshed. So you and I would come together and enter into a solemn agreement or a solemn covenant. And something like the following would take place. We would, uh, in the harsh climate of the desert, we would set up a rock, and the rock would represent permanence. Uh, it would mark the spot, if you like. It would represent the eternal God. 
And you and I, as our families watched in the background, um, would approach the rock. And I'd say something like the following. I, Jacob, swear before God that I will respect you, Isaac, and your family from this day forward. I will honor your name, which is another way of saying the, th the same thing. I will come to your defense in time of war, and from now on, you graze your sheep to the east. I am a man who says yes when I mean yes, and no when I mean no. And there'd be no lawyer in the background writing it down. In the ancient world, a man's word was his bond. And then uh, you'd approach the same altar, the same rock, and say, and I, Isaac, swear by God that I will respect you, Jacob, and your family from this day forward. I will honor your name. I will come to your defense in time of war. And from now on, you graze your sheep to the west. I, too, am a man who says yes when I mean yes and no when I mean no. And again, there'd be no lawyer in the background writing it down. Your word would be your bond. Now, in the ancient world, covenants had to be written in blood. We see a little trace of that in some of the old movies where the uh, American Indian and the white man would enter into a treaty or a covenant, and both of them would uh, let a little bit of blood flow from their hands or wrists and let it intermingle with the blood of the other, and that way you became blood brothers. I don't think the Indians did too well out of all these treaties and covenants. So anyway, in the ancient world, covenants were written in blood, so one or other of us would get a sheep from the pasture, and this animal would be slaughtered on the rock on the altar. And as the blood flowed on the altar, I, Jacob, would look at you, Isaac, and without saying words to one another, we'd be saying, if I break my word to you, what happened to this animal, may it happen to me. In other words, may I die if I break my word. Now, our respective tribal families are in the background watching all of this, and uh, so to show then that they are part of this solemn agreement that we have made. The animal is cooked and eaten. They are in communion with what we have done uh, at the altar. Now, what makes the Jewish people unique in all of history is that God chose them and chose to enter into a covenant with them. The covenant uh, was made on Mount Sinai. Moses um, has gone down into Egypt, and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go, let the people of God go. And eventually, um, Moses led the people of God out of bondage in Egypt, through the water of the Red Sea, into the Sinai Desert, in, I suppose in much the same way as your mother expelled you from her womb and you went through her birth canal and now you were born. Or in some way Adam and Eve came out of the Garden of Eden. The Jewish people came out of bondage in Egypt. And then when Moses led the people of God to Mount Sinai, this is where the marriage covenant took place. I'm going to read now to you from Exodus, the book of Exodus, to come out from is what the word means, chapter 19, uh, verse 3. 
Moses then went up to God, and the Lord God called to him from the mountain, saying, Say this to the house of Jacob, declare this to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did with the Egyptians, how I carried you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. From this you know that now, if you obey my voice and hold fast to my covenant, you of all the nations shall be my own, for all the earth is mine. I will count you a kingdom of priests, a consecrated nation. Those are the words you are to speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses went and summoned the elders of the people, putting before them all that the Lord God had bidden him. Then all the people answered as one, All that the Lord God has said we will do. And Moses took the people's reply back to the Lord God. Now you see the, the choice then and this agreement, the coming together of God and his people, the Jews. The Lord God said to Moses, I am coming to you in a dense cloud so that the people may hear when I speak to you and may trust you always. And Moses took the people's reply back to the Lord God of hosts. The Lord God said to Moses, Go to the people and tell them to prepare themselves today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothing and hold themselves in readiness for the third day because on the third day the Lord God will descend on the mountain of Sinai in the sight of all the people. You will mark out the limits of the mountain and say, Take care not to go up the mountain or to touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain will be put to death. No one must lay a hand on him. He must be stoned or shot down by arrow, whether man or beast. He must not remain alive. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they are to go up the mountain. So Moses came down from the mountain to the people and bade them prepare themselves, and they washed their clothing. Then he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near any woman. Now at daybreak on the third day, there were peals of thunder on the mountain and lightning flashes, a dense cloud, and a loud trumpet blast. And inside the camp all the people trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the bottom of the mountain. The mountain of Sinai was entirely wrapped in smoke because God had descended on it in the form of fire. Like smoke from a furnace, the smoke went up, and the whole mountain shook violently. Louder and louder grew the sound of the trumpet. Moses spoke, and God answered him with peals of thunder. God came down on the mountain of Sinai, on the mountain top, and God called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. God said to Moses, Go down and warn the people not to pass beyond their bounds to come and look on God, or many of them will lose their lives. The priests, the men who do approach God, even these must purify themselves, or God will break out against them. Moses answered God, The people cannot come up the mountain of Sinai, because you warned us yourself when you said, Mark out the limits of the mountain and declare it sacred. Go down, said God to him, and come up again, bringing Aaron with you. But do not allow the priests or the people to pass beyond their bounds to come up to God or he will break out against them. 
So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Now we're going to be given the terms of the agreement. Just as in marriage, for instance, you pledge to be faithful to your spouse and you pledge to enter in, into a marriage until death do you part and you pledge to give one another the rights to have children. Those are the terms of the marriage. Now we are to listen to the terms of the marriage between God and his people. Then God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of that house of slavery. You shall have no gods except me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven or on earth or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God. And I punish the father's fault in the sons, the grandsons, and the great-grandsons of those who hate me. But I show kindness to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not utter the name of Yahweh, your God, to misuse it, for Yahweh will not leave unpunished the man who utters his name to misuse it. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath for Yahweh your God. You shall do no work that day, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your servants, men or women, nor your animals, nor the stranger who lives with you. For in six days the Lord God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that these hold. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord God has blessed the Sabbath day and made it sacred. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God has given to you. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his servant, man or woman, or his ox or his donkey, or anything that is his. So these then are the terms of the agreement. God will be the people of, God will be the God of the Jews and they will be his people. God will be faithful to them and they are to be faithful to him by keeping his commandments. From an earlier discussion, we were talking about how covenants had to be written or ratified in blood. And the same goes with this covenant uh, between God and his people, the Jews. So you'll find a description of this in Exodus chapter 24, verse 3. Moses went and told the people all the commands of the Lord God and all the ordinances. In answer, all the people said with one voice, we will observe all the commands that God has decreed. Moses put all the commands of the Lord God into writing, and early next morning he built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 standing stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he directed certain young Israelites to offer holocausts and to immolate bullocks to the Lord God as communion sacrifices. Half of the blood Moses took up and put into basins, the other half he cast on the altar. And taking the book of the covenant, he read it to the listening people, and they said, We will observe all that the Lord God has decreed. We will obey. And Moses took the blood and cast it towards the people. This, he said, is the blood of the covenant that the Lord God has made with you, containing all 
these roles. The people of God remained in the wilderness for a period of 40 years where they were tested by God, but they did fail the test. They tested him at the waters of Meribah. They broke his commandments. They angered the Lord God of hosts. Jesus, who is also Israel, who is also God's son, passed the test and did not tempt God. I bring you now to the fourth chapter of Matthew, where we will see uh, the testing of Jesus, who is God's son. Israel was God's son. Jesus is God's son. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you will remember that God led his son Israel out of the bondage in Egypt and tested them in the desert. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, after which he was very hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to turn into loaves. But he replied, Scripture says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil then took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for Scripture says he will put you in his angels' charge, and they will support you on their hands in case you hurt your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Scripture also says you must not put the Lord your God to the test. Next, taking him to a very high mountain, the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. I will give you all of these, he said, if you fall at my feet and worship me. Then Jesus replied, Be off, Satan, for Scripture says you must worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Then the devil left him, and the angels appeared and looked after him. So just as Israel's God's son was tested in the wilderness for 40 years and failed the test, Jesus, also God's son, um, was tested in the wilderness, but he passed the test. Jesus then came out of the desert and began to preach. He said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. Now here is Jesus, Israel, God's son, and after a life of obedience, he finally, he crossed the final Jordan into heaven. As you know, he died on the cross, crying out, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. But before he left, he offered us a covenant. And in and through this covenant, uh, you and I may cross the Jordan, the final Jordan, into heaven. To the best of my knowledge, bridal customs at the time of Jesus took the following form. When a young man was proposing to get married to a virgin girl, uh, there was no courtship or anything of that nature. Uh, what he did was he would go and pay a price for the for the bride to the bride's father. Now, this didn't mean that she was bought and sold. It simply meant that she had great value. And after the price was agreed upon, the husband-to-be, hopefully, would take a glass of wine and he'd put this glass of wine in front of the bride-to-be. 
And if she drank from the glass of wine, knowing what she was doing, of course, uh, they would be engaged to be married. At this stage, uh, the, the bridegroom would return to his father's house and begin to build a bridal chamber. And the bride, for her part, every time she appeared in public, she would wear a veil over her face because engagement among the Jews had the same binding force as marriage. You will remember that incident where it says um, Joseph was engaged to Mary, but they had not yet come together, and she was found to be with child, and he decided to divorce her quietly. So engagement had the same binding force as marriage. Now, not alone did she cover her face with a veil, but the girl and her bridesmaids would keep lamps, oil lamps, burning by their bedsides at night because they never quite knew when the bridegroom would return. A lot would depend on how good a carpenter he was. But it wasn't that simple either. Um, the groom's father had to approve of the uh, dwelling chamber that he was building, or the marriage chamber that he was building attached to his house. You know, the God of Israel is very practical. A lot of young men, in their eagerness to consummate the marriage, might have thrown up some type of an old shack, and the heat of passion, if you know what I mean, might have uh, knocked it down. So the, the father then had to approve of the dwelling. When the uh, dwelling was ready, the father would say, the father of the groom would say to him, now you can go and bring your bride home. And generally the custom was that the bridegroom and his attendants would set off for the bride's village, generally around uh, midnight. And the custom had it that uh, as they approached the bride's village, somebody would blow on the shofar or the ram's horn, and this sound would go all over the village, and somebody would shout out, the bridegroom is here, go out to meet him. You see how practical the God of Israel is. Uh, he gives the bride a chance to get the cold cream off her face. Actually, the reason is um, it gives her a chance to trim her lamp and get herself ready. And hopefully then the uh, bride the bride would be brought uh, to the bridegroom's home and they would live, we'll say, in relative peace and harmony from that day forward. That, to the best of my knowledge, was the bridal custom at the time of Jesus. Now, um, Jesus' behavior was very similar to uh, the behavior of a bridegroom on the night before he died, we are told, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane was a, a garden where olives were pressed or crushed. Uh, Jesus haggled with God over the price of the bride. Now remember, the bride happens to be the church. And he haggled with God uh, because the price of the bride was to be his death on the cross. He had to die in our place for our sins. And he said to his father, Father, if it be possible, let this chalice pass away from me, but not my will, but thine be done. So he agreed on the price. The price was to be Calvary, his death on the cross. But earlier uh, that night, Jesus went through a marriage ritual with his 12 apostles. He took a cup of wine 
uh, at their last supper together and he said to them, take this all of you and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant, the blood of the new marriage. And I don't know whether the apostles understood what was going on or whether they even felt a kind of an embarrassment because uh, he's going through a very intimate proposal here, a proposal of marriage. And he behaved like a very typical Jewish bridegroom. He went away because the very next day he was dead. That was the price he had to pay. Uh, but before he left them, he said to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. I go to prepare a place for you, typical bridegroom. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you with me so that where I am, you also may be. And when they asked him a very practical question, when will you be coming back? He says, only the father knows at what time the bridegroom will return for his bride. So the church then uh, can be compared then to a bride who is awaiting the return of the bridegroom. Now, when will he return? Well, Paul says that... Uh, the Lord will return at the sound of the archangel's trumpet. There it is again, the, the shofar, the, the ram's horn. Uh, he will return at the sound of the archangel's trumpet and at the word of command. Now the church then must remain um, pure in history as it awaits the uh, return of the bridegroom because she is married to Christ the bridegroom um, and so must not give herself to other lovers, like, for instance, the world or the flesh or the devil. Now, perhaps, perhaps now this parable of Jesus will make more sense. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were sensible. The foolish ones did take their lamps but they brought no oil, whereas the sensible ones took flasks of oil as well as their lamps. The bridegroom was late. Christ delayed his coming. And they all grew drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight there was a cry, The bridegroom is here. Go out and meet him. At this all those bridesmaids woke up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the sensible ones, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But they replied, there may not be enough for us and for you. You had better go to those who sell it and buy some for yourselves. They had gone off to buy it when the bridegroom arrived. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding hall and the door was closed. The other bridesmaids arrived later. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you solemnly, I do not know you, so stay awake because you do not know either the day or the hour. And so the church remains on in history as the bride of Christ, and it doesn't know the day nor the hour. Now, in case you might be thinking to yourself, I'm making a lot of this stuff up, I'll draw your attention to the epilogue, the conclusion of the book of Revelations, and I'd ask you to pay particular attention to the reference to the spirit and the bride crying out to Jesus, Come, come, Lord Jesus. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to make these revelations to you for the sake of the churches. I am of David's line, the root of David and the bright star of the morning. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let everyone who listens answer, come. 
and let all who were thirsty come, all who wanted may have the water of life and have it free. This is my solemn warning to all who hear the prophecies in this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him every plague mentioned in the book. If anyone cuts anything out of the prophecies in this book, God will cut off his share of the tree of life and of the holy city which are described in the book. The one who guarantees these revelations repeats his promise, I shall indeed be with you soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The prayer of the early Christian church was, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. They were waiting and calling out for the return of the bridegroom from heaven. And indeed in the Our Father, when we say, Thy kingdom come, we are praying for the coming of Christ uh, into our hearts and minds and souls. So the church is the bride of Christ down through the centuries, calling out, Come, Lord Jesus. They're looking for the return of Christ the bridegroom. Well, thank you for listening to Burning Hearts. Shalom. Faith Bit Radio and the Dice of Orlando presented Burning Hearts with Father Patrick O'Dottery. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast at faithfitradio.org and tune in next time. May you be blessed with peace and joy.